Good morning, Warehouse Church family. It's a joy to be with you this morning, and I want to thank Pastor Matt for letting me be a part of this summer series, This is Jesus. The purpose of this series is to introduce us again to who Jesus said he was. It's important to understand who Jesus said he was, not just who we think he is, and to be able to introduce him to others with the statements that he has made and the import they have for our lives. Before we get started, just like us to just bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for an opportunity to open your word again this morning. And I pray that you would bless your word and give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. Speak to us personally, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at John 15, verses 1 to 8. Give you a little background of that section of scripture. In John 13 through John 17, this section of scripture is known as the Upper Room Discourse. These were the final teachings that Jesus gave to his disciples before his crucifixion. They began in John 13 as he washed his disciples' feet and taught them about how to be a servant, and then shared the Last Supper with him. Then it went through John 14, where he introduced them to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And then John 15 to 16 are most likely taught while he was walking with the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And John 17, we know as the high priestly prayer, is a prayer that he prayed at the Garden for us, his disciples, his church. So John 15, these opening verses, Jesus makes another powerful claim about who he is. As he begins to prepare his disciples for his death, resurrection, and the return to the Father, his return to the Father in the ascension, he wants them to understand what their ongoing relationship will be with both he and the Father when he's no longer with them. So these verses speak personally to us today as we walk in the light of his resurrection and ascension. So in talking about this is Jesus, we look at this claim when we ask, who is Jesus? And he says to us, I am the true vine. Look at verse one with me in your Bibles. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. As we look at this claim of being the true vine, I want to look at four different areas that it impacts us. And I would like to just reword it in saying this way, Jesus is the source of, and then give you four different things. The first thing we want to look at is that Jesus is the only source of life. Now, if there's a true vine, there must also be a false vine. Notice he doesn't just say, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. But he says very specifically, I am the true vine. And so we realize right from the start that what Jesus is trying to share with us is that he is the only source of life. Now, as he walked from where they shared the Last Supper, to the garden, no doubt they passed the temple. And as they passed the temple gates, which were open wide open for the festival of Passover, 
These gates were large brass doors that were imported by, from Greece. They were made of bronze and they had the symbol of a gold vine in the middle of them representing the nation of Israel. Now the Jews of Jesus' day had made the mistake of placing their faith more in their position and heritage than in God himself. You see, they began to see themselves as the vine. They began to see themselves as a source of truth in life. And yet Jesus said, no, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Today, so many people are looking for life in all the wrong places. They're looking for life in what they do for a living. They're looking for life in their position and stature in this world. They're looking for life in a relationship with another person. They're looking for their life in religion or a, some type of philosophy or teaching, but Jesus made it clear. Although many people may claim to be the source of life, there is only one source of life. There is only one true vine, and that is Jesus Christ. Matthew 23, 23 to 24, Jesus said, Therefore, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. You see, the only way we can have life is to have a relationship with God, the Father. And the only way we can have a relationship with God, the Father, is through Jesus Christ. We need to be connected with the true vine. You see, the vine is the source of life. The branches are that which expresses that life or are connected to that life. And so we can only be connected to the true vine through Jesus Christ, who is that vine, and he brings us in full relationship with the Father. Jesus is the only source of life. He's the only source of eternal life. He's the only source of abundant life. He's the only source of everlasting life. Jesus put it this way in John 14, verse 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Many people claim Christians are narrow-minded, that they don't allow for other perspectives and ideas. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. The only thing we're narrow-minded about is the statements of Jesus himself. Jesus didn't say, I'm one of the vines of many. He said, no, I am the true vine. He is the only source of life. There is no other source of life. The only way to God, there is no other way to God. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. When he says, I'm the true vine, the second thing we want to get and understand is that he's the only source of fruitfulness in life. Now, everybody I know wants to be fruitful. We want to be successful. We want to be happy. We want to have uh, great experiences in our life. We want to have something at the end of our life that says our life really mattered. It really meant something. But we look for that again in the wrong places. And we need to realize that Jesus is not only the only source for life, but he's the only source of fruitfulness. In John 15, verse 2, Jesus said this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, 
he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, let me tell you something that struck me very strongly years ago. I realized that God is more interested in my fruitfulness in life than he is in my happiness in life. You see, fruitfulness is something that endures. Happiness is something that is dependent upon circumstances. I'm not always happy, but I always can be fruitful. And all of God's faithful actions, yes, even his corrections, his pruning in our lives are so that we can be fruitful. Look at verse 3. He said, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Fruitfulness is different from salvation. Now, God desires that all men be saved, and I rejoice that I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I know that I know that I know that Jesus is my Savior. But salvation is not fruitfulness. It is the door that opens our life to fruitfulness. Salvation begins and enters us into a relationship with the true vine, Jesus Christ, and also the vine dresser, the Father. Fruitfulness is the character of Christ growing in me or the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life as I learn to abide in him. In John 15, 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. So only branches that are abiding in the vine and are pruned and cleansed by the vine dresser can bear fruit. I read that many places in Jerusalem where they grew grapes, that actually they allowed the grapes to grow on the ground. And they grew from the vine onto the ground. And so the vine dresser would come and he would lift and he would wash off the grapes. He would remove any insects or any type of weed and then lay the grapes back down to come to full ripening. Now, the Father comes to our lives to trim, to prune our lives, to correct us when we're going astray so that we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the very nature of Christ. In Galatians 5, to 24, we know this verse, but let me just read it. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let me read those again. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it says, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, the fruitfulness in life is not what we possess. It's who we become. And we are called to become like Christ. And when we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit flowing out of our lives more than the works and passions and desires of the flesh, we are growing in fruitfulness. But what does it take to grow in fruitfulness? It takes abiding in the vine. Now the Bible talks about 
the branches that were grafted into the vine and the branches that were removed from the vine. The branches were removed from the vine because of their unbelief. They were grafted into the vine through faith. To abide literally means in the Greek to stay in a given place, in a state of relationship or expectancy. So as we stay in Christ, as we stay with Christ, as we nurture our relationship with him through scriptural meditation, worship, fellowship, prayer, obedience and service, we abide in the vine. And as we abide in the vine, we grow in fruitfulness because his character begins to become our character and we begin to see the fruit of the Spirit growing out of our lives. Now, the branch has no capability or potential of fruit within itself. It is only an expression of the fruit that resides in the vine. So we need to abide in him. We need to realize that our fruitfulness is in him. Only in a relationship with Jesus Christ can we walk in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I want to tell you, when you're abiding in those things, against such there is no law. There's no condemnation. And you begin to enjoy the freedom. Abiding literally just means to stay in the boat. We, we climb into the lifeboat of salvation through faith in Christ. And we grow in fruitfulness as we stay in the boat, as he directs it to safe harbor and his destination, being conformed into the image of Christ. Number three. Jesus is the only source of effectiveness. I don't know if anybody wasn't, doesn't want to be effective. When we do a job, we want to be effective. When we go to work, we want to be effective. When we live for Christ, we want our faith to be effective. Verses 5 and 6 says, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Again, he reiterates, he who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now notice that that is one of the most powerful statements, I believe, in all of Scripture. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, let me make this clear. You can do a lot of things without Christ but you cannot do anything with eternal effectiveness without Christ. Only that which we do in and through Jesus Christ really has any merit or any lasting fruit and effectiveness. Everything else is temporal. Only that which we do in Jesus Christ is eternal. All of the other effort of our life, really, when we think about it, although it may be noble, it's but withered branches that are used to kindle a fire. They are temporal and fleeting. My dad worked all of his life, all of his life. And he held great positions with great titles. And then he was too old to be considered for his positions. And he was let go. After that, he didn't get called from his friends anymore. The people he worked with, he was forgotten. All of those years he spent 
in his career, at the end of his life, meant nothing. But the singing that he gave to the Lord, oh, the joy that he had in lifting his voice and praises to Christ. The joy that he had in, I remember in his retirement, he helped raise enough money through a benefit concert to purchase a new organ for his church. The joy that he had in giving his life to the things of Christ, they had an eternal impact in lives that he touched and in the kingdom of God. Everything else was just kindling that was burned. Now, no one remembers my father except his family and maybe a few of his close friends whose lives he touched. My grandfather's been gone a long time. No one remembers him, but I do because of the eternal impact he had as he sowed spiritual seed into my life. Listen, in Jesus, you will find your only source of effectiveness, the purpose that you want in knowing that your life has an eternal purpose and destiny is only found in Jesus. He is the true vine, and if you abide in him, you will bear much fruit. For without him, we really can do nothing. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. Now in all of this, in being fruitful and in being effective, there is the loving hand of the Father always to prune us to correct us, to guide us through his word, to cleanse us through the word of God. I'll never forget when Karen and I moved into our first home, there was this huge apricot tree in the back. I mean, I've never seen a tree that big before in my life. And the first year we were there, we, we got almost no fruit at all. And I wondered, and I said to my neighbor, I said, why do you think this tree isn't bearing fruit? And he said, because it needs to be pruned. And so I cut it back. I don't remember how much I cut it back, but I cut back as much as I could reach. All the way around, I trimmed off a, a, a amount of each branch until it had a perfect shape, but it was smaller than it was before. Now, in life, God does the same thing lovingly to us because he wants us to be fruitful. And let me tell you, the next year when it was apricot season, there were so many apricots on that tree. They were falling like rain from the tree. And I had to call my neighbors all around to come and bring baskets. And we gave away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of apricots. God wants to do the same thing in your life and mine. What's our last point? The fourth and last point I want to give you this morning is Jesus as our true vine is the only source of answered prayer. Now, I don't know of a believer that I've met who doesn't want to see their prayers answered. But our prayers being answered do not depend on how we pray. It depends on who the prayer is going to. I can, I can pray to a rock, nothing's going to happen. I can pray a great oration to a rock, nothing's going to happen. But when I pray to the Father in Jesus' name, great things begin to happen. Listen to the promise Jesus gave in John 15, 7 to 8. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. There we are, call to abide again. Remember what that means. 
I'm going to read it again. It means to stay in a given place, a state, relation, or expectancy. So as we abide in his word, as we remain in the scriptures, as we abide with expectancy on the promises of God, as his words abide in us, he says this, he says, you'll ask what you desire, and this is, this is powerful, and it will be done for you. And then verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now in John 16, he goes on to teach us about prayer. He says, When I'm gone, this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to ask me anymore, but I want you to come to the Father and ask him in my name. And whatever you ask in my name, I will give it to you. Now that kind of seems like a carte blanche without any limitations. But the prerequisite is in verse 7. It says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So fruitfulness in Jesus Christ is an invitation to answered prayer. It's an invitation to partnership with him working in this earth through prayer. Someone has wisely said prayer is striking the winning blow and service is just gathering up the result. But yeah, John Wesley who said this, he said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer, believing prayer. So prayer is more than simply just me giving my request to God. Now that is part of prayer. Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. But prayer is much more than that. Prayer really is our on-the-job training for our eternal rule and reign with Jesus Christ. It's my call and your call to partner with God in his eternal purpose here on earth. That's, I think, the most powerful part of the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, 9 to 13, it says this, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just stop there. Think about this, that we get the joy of partnering in prayer to ask his kingdom to come down on earth as it is in heaven, to see him establish his rule and reign in our lives and in the lives of others. Yes, we can pray, give us this day our daily bread, and we can ask for forgiveness for our debts and and to forgive our debtors, and we can ask to be protected from temptation and to be delivered from the evil one. But I love the last statement. He says, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the power forever and ever. The greatest privilege we have is to pray for the kingdom of God. As we abide in Christ and his word abides in us, we're not going to be asking for a fruit, a fruitful non-fruitful or frivolous thing. We're going to be asking for things that pertain to the kingdom. We're going to be praying for people's salvation. We're going to be praying for others' healings. Whenever there was a great prayer revival in our history, the prayers turned heavenward. They turned toward other people. And I, this is what I found. When you pray for other people, about 90% of your problems just fly away. About 10% are left to deal with but it puts everything in perspective. When you begin to invest in kingdom things, when you begin to have the heart of the Father, when you begin to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, 
when we begin to pray according to his will, and we are led by the Holy Spirit, our prayers will be answered powerfully to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but I want to have that kind of prayer life. And I believe that God is calling each one of us, everyone listening this morning, to be that type of prayer warrior. We live in a day of darkness, and we need people who can get on their knees and pray for revival in our hearts, in our churches, in our nation, and in our world. We're in the last days, and we need powerful prayer warriors to accomplish His kingdom's will on earth as it is in heaven. So let's just bring this into a summary. We've talked about four things. We've looked at Jesus being the true vine, that he's the only source of life, of a relationship with the Father, of a reunited relationship with God and full forgiveness and pardon from sin. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to God but through him. He's the only source of fruitfulness, the only way that we can grow in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is as we abide and are joined together with Christ, as we stay united with him, as we grow in his word, as his spirit brings his nature out and flowing from our lives. And he's the only source of effectiveness. Only the things that we do in Christ, through Christ, for Christ, in the name of Christ, have any eternal weight or merit. Only they will last. Only they are eternal. And finally, Jesus Christ, the true vine, is the only source of answered prayer. You've been invited, I've been invited, to join in praying for his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we do, we can lift our hands and say at the end of it, Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, and yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. So this morning, as we close, the question I want to ask you, I'm really asking myself, am I abiding in the true vine? Not just do I believe is there a true vine, but have I been grafted in through faith in Christ? Am I abiding in Christ my, am I allowing the Father, the vine dresser, to prune me, to change me, to correct me, to guide my path, to open the doors for me to walk through? Am I allowing him to do his full work in my life through the Holy Spirit? Am I abiding in the true vine? Now, there was a time in my life when I had to make that decision at the very moment of deciding whether I was going to follow Christ or continue to follow my own self-will in life. And I chose to abide in the vine. I chose to choose the only source of life. But then through my Christian life, there have been times when I've backslidden. When I turned my back on Christ during difficult times, I, I allowed the former ways of my life to, to start to bind me up again, to... What, what Hebrews 12 talks about is the snares of sin that so easily trip us up. I, I began to, to kind of walk in the mire again, so to speak. And it was at that point again in my life, I had to turn to the true vine. 
and realized Jesus Christ was my only source of life, fruitfulness, effectiveness, and answered prayer. And this is the wonderful thing about the invitation to the vine. It doesn't depend on anything from us. I love that. I mean, it was dependent upon how good I was, how much I knew, how much I understood. I would never be able to abide in the vine. Jesus speaks to seven churches in the book of Revelations, chapter 2 and 3. And the church of Laodicea was a church that wasn't known much for its spiritual life. In fact, it's known in the study of Revelations as the lukewarm church, because Jesus said this. He said, I would that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. It actually shows Jesus on the outside of the church. Perhaps they were just plain church. I don't know. Did some of them really know Christ and had just backslidden? Had the whole church just backslidden? Or were they all just deluded in thinking they knew Christ, but were never really grafted into the vine through faith? Regardless of their condition, regardless of the source or the answer to that question, Listen to what Jesus says to these disciples in Revelation 3, 19 to 22. And see how it ties in with John 15, 1 to 8, when he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten or correct. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The word zealous in the Greek means to be literally on fire, and it means to turn and to be on fire. That's what it is to repent. To repent is to turn, to turn from our old way of life, from our old trust in everything else, all the things we trusted in for life, all the things we trusted in for fruitfulness, all the things we trusted in for effectiveness, all the things we trusted in for answered prayer. We turn from those and we turn to the true vine, Jesus Christ. And then he says this to that church. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's what I love about this. It doesn't matter whether I've never given my life to Christ or whether I find myself in a backslidden state. The invitation comes to whether I'm, I'm cold or lukewarm. It comes to bring me into a a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ and to rekindle in my life the fire of God and a life that's filled with purpose, fruitfulness, effectiveness, and answered prayer. And all I have to do is answer the door. I answer the door as I turn from depending on anything other than Christ. That's repentance. It means to turn 180 degrees. I repent of my sin. I repent on trusting in anything else but him. And I open the door. And here's what I picture. Now, this is just my own picture, but I want to give it to you in closing. There's a door on my heart and on your heart. 
And that door is closed initially. And there's no doorknob on the outside of that door. There's only one doorknob and it's on the inside of the door. And Jesus comes and he knocks at the door, but he doesn't bulldoze it down. He doesn't force it open, but he knocks. And he invites you to open the door. And when you turn that knob, that's repentance. You turn your life from trusting anything else other than Christ to trusting him. And you open the door and he comes in. And so listen, dear one, if you're listening this morning, if you never have opened the door of your heart and faith to Jesus Christ, and you don't know him as the source of your life, all you need to do is say, Lord, I repent right now of my sin. I repent of trusting anything or anyone for my source of life other than you. I now, I turn the knob through repentance. I open the door and I ask you to come into my heart and into my life and be my personal Lord and Savior. Lord, bring life into this dead heart. Give me a new heart and a new life. Let me be your son and daughter. Let me be a child of the Father. And usher me into this new life of fruitfulness, effectiveness, and intimate communication with you through prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that for the very first time this morning, then we want to ask you to contact us on twfc.info and someone from our church staff will send you material and help you get connected to a believing church. Oh, this is the best day of your life. You're not here by accident. But I want to close with one last statement. To you who are believers, the enemy has tried to convince you that your life is not fruitful, that your life is not effective, that your prayer life is, is dead as a doornail. And I want to tell you right now, he's knocking to you and he's knocking to me. He wants to come in to renew our life once again, to introduce us to himself as a true vine once again, to get us on the pathway to fruitfulness once again, to help us experience effectiveness once again, to enter into commitment and communion with him and partnership with him through answered prayer and bringing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Your day is today. God has such great things ahead for your life, for my life, for the life of the Warehouse Foursquare Church, and for the life of everybody's church and everybody's life who's listening to this today. We love you, we care about you, and we pray that you will be blessed as you think about Jesus, the true vine. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you shalom, his peace. God bless you. Have a great day. In Jesus' name, amen.